1: Welcome to another episode of The Damn Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines, joined as always by BeaverBlitz.com publisher Angie Machado and today by Jackson Moore, publisher of BearTerritory.net on the 24-7 Sports Network to help us preview Oregon State's 10th game of the 2022 college football season, taken on the California Golden Bears at Reezer Stadium saturday night i'll start with you angie we'll bring you in here on this thursday afternoon as we're live on youtube how are you doing today
2: i am good i can't even believe it's like game 10 already the season is flying but um, i'm excited i'm heading to this game it is parents weekend i do not have a kiddo in corvallis but we have friends that do so like our god kids our god children and so guess what team machado is heading to corvallis (laughs) Better look out, peacock!
1: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole the whole Beaver Blitz staff, uh, assuming I get over the stomach bug that I've been battling for a <laughs> week, will be on hand at Reeser Stadium. Um, Jackson will not be making the trip up north. He's going to be hanging out in Vegas covering Fresno State. So, That's... I mean, we can't blame him there. But uh, Jackson, as you know, everybody who's who's listening and and watching very familiar with you at this point we had you on to, to preview Oregon State's game against Fresno State and I believe we uh, touch base with you for behind enemy lines for Stanford. Um, as someone who covers five teams, I, I'm curious you, you mentioned Fresno State playing on a Friday. let's say all five teams are playing on a Saturday or you've got you know one on Friday and four on Saturday. What does a game day look like for someone who covers all of these teams? I'm so, like I'm so curious how you do this.
3: Yeah, it could definitely be challenging. Um, Unfortunately, I have some assistants, and a lot of them are on location. So usually I have each game accounted for, and I usually don't have to account for more than maybe two games at a time on a a difficult day. Uh, But the other night, uh, it was – I called the Jackson Moore After Dark. It was four (laughs) football games were on nationally after seven thirty, and they were all involving four of my teams. uh, That was about as busy as it's ever been. Uh, I do
2: not see how you do it. I mean, one is enough. I don't. I don't know how you do it.
3: (laughs) That's awesome stuff. Uh,
1: So yeah, Jackson
2: Moore, the entire Mountain West. (laughs) Yeah, that would actually make it easier because you just like you know.
1: Jackson Moore after dark, I love that. Yeah, Jackson um, Moore after
2: dark.
1: So we're talking about the Golden Bears this week. This is this is California week in Corvallis. So speaking of California in particular, Jackson, how long has uh, how has that athletic department been under your portfolio? Because I mean, for people who don't know, you've got Hawaii, San Jose State, Fresno State, Stanford, and Cal.
3: Yeah, so I've been covering Cal since the 2019 season, which was uh, you know an upward trajectory for the Justin Wilcox era at that time and uh, didn't expect it to be the peak to this point. (laughs) But, uh, I mean, they have been improving each year, the first three years he was there, and now it's kind of been a little rough the last couple of seasons. So um, just been monitoring that, and uh, they have stepped things up recruiting-wise for most of the past few classes. So uh, that part's been a little more fun to cover than some of the results on the field since then.
1: Yeah, for sure. Let's dive into California here. Uh, We'll do some some Q&A with Jackson here. We'll let him bounce in about 20 to 30 minutes. And then uh, Angie and I will we'll do our Oregon State stuff as we usually do on these game preview episodes. But hey, and I just
2: want to note it that I have a different key to the game this week because somebody called me out that I constantly had the same key to the game. No, no
1: copycat this week. I, no love copycat. This week. Um, I haven't even, I, I haven't looked that far down the rundown to see what you typed in there yet. So that'll be a, a surprise for me, but um, let's talk about the golden bears here. And I, I want to start Jackson with the five game losing streak. The fact that California hasn't won a game since September 24th, when it beat Arizona, yet the golden bears seem to just still, they're still fighting. They're still playing inspired football. Um, and if you need an example of that, you can go back to Saturday when the golden bears gave USC, everything it could handle in a 41 35 game. Um, I, I believe it led in the second half. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I, that game was kind of on a second screen for me at the time. Um, but it was tight the whole way through. And I'm curious if that, if you think, you know, that inspired play that they've, um, they've maintained throughout this losing streak could that pay off this week could that pay off down the stretch could they beat one of oregon state stanford and ucla
3: i mean it certainly helps and there was a little bit of concern because the game before usc they they did get beat up pretty good by oregon it wasn't very close and that has not been the case in that losing streak Uh, they have basically played to their competition all year long except for that oregon game um, they lose to Washington by seven the week before they lost to Colorado uh, by a touchdown. So just about every one they play, it seems like it's a close game. And it, they, even though they've been a little, probably farther away from winning a lot of those close games and the score suggest um, they just have been competitive every week uh, win or lose uh, even the Washington state game score looks pretty ugly. That game was pretty tight for 35, 40 minutes. So um Not, uh, I think the way Justin Wilcox operates and the environment and the attitude of the team, uh, they're not too discouraged by a five-game losing streak, and uh, they expect to be competitive. Uh, It's just the gap from competitive to winning feels pretty wide right now.
2: Oregon State fans know that. I mean, they know the feeling tremendously. Do you think this is a week that they fight Oregon State, or do you think they have a letdown after being so close to USC?
3: I think they keep fighting. Um, you know, it feels like this team is good enough to have a win that they shouldn't have had, which hasn't happened this year, and they're running out of time to make that happen. So,
2: so um, they have OSU, Stanford, and UCLA left on the on the docket. You yeah. see a, who do you see them beating in that stretch?
3: Stanford's Stanford. Stanford. The, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. They might be favored in that game. Yeah. So. Uh, if they want to win one that they sh- maybe shouldn't have won, uh, this is probably their best shot. UCLA is going to be a tough one, even at home, to, to close the year.
1: Speaking of Jackson Moore after dark, that uh, that Cal-Stanford game this year, I mean, man, it's uh, that's, that's the Jackson Moore Bowl
3: right there.
2: It, is that at Stanford or is it at Cal?
3: Oh, it's at Cal, and okay. um, I'm trying to see if uh, – the Bulldogs might have a game clinching opportunity in Reno that same night. So there might be a flight from Oakland to Reno uh, after the Cal Stanford oh, <laughs> awesome.
2: At least it's at Cal though, because Cal students have fun. We, they don't have fun at Stanford. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> they don't even have a mascot. Right they don't now.
2: even have a mascot anymore. <laughs> Freaking communists run in Stanford right now. No fun. Can't even let the tree have fun.
1: Um. Okay, back to Cal. So, Oregon State fans obviously very familiar with uh, with with Plummer Jack Plummer running the offense. There it was the quarterback at Purdue for Oregon State season opening loss in uh, in Indiana last year, and in that game went twenty nine to forty one, three hundred thirteen yards and two touchdowns as the Boilermakers pretty much controlled that game uh, from start to finish. So, I mean, Oregon State fans don't have fond memories of Plummer, but what he did against the Beavers last year was nothing short of impressive. Has that kind of pro- prolific passing ability followed him to California? Cause I mean, when, when he made the move, we thought, okay, he could be bringing something with him that could take this Cal offense to a level that it hasn't been at uh, under Jack Je- uh, under Justin Wilcox.
3: Uh, it has somewhat, I, I think, The way I would describe Plummer is that he's more of a type of point guard distributor rather than the playmaker. And when everything moves around him and it executes the other 10 guys, I mean, he's as reliable as it gets. But this is an offense where the other 10 pieces haven't been very consistent. And more importantly, the O-line, you just see when he's kept clean and delivers passes, uh, it's he very rarely makes mistakes. They're typically where they need to get and they're catchable. But when he's under pressure, uh, it it falls pretty significantly. There's a very sharp decline when he's under pressure. And this Cala line has gone through a lot over the offseason and through the course of the last few weeks as well. They were already not giving him very much protection and now they're pretty short handed. So um, it, it's just been kind of a tale of of two stories for plumber when he has time to throw uh, it looks really good when he doesn't i mean this whole offense just crumbles
2: am i the only one that gets him and I, I keep wanting to call him jake plumber seriously <laughs> especially I, when
3: you cover jake hayner Yeah, no, uh, i was well, doing, jake doing hayner, the same
2: thing. <laughs> i'm old and so i remember jake Plummer. yeah I, I anyway so there is some young talent though on this offense um jade not obviously is a huge talent Oregon state offered him he was um, as soon as he commit to Cal is kind of when Oregon state went all in on Damian Martinez. So it's going to be fun to watch those two. Um, also receiver Sturdivant talk about those two guys and anybody else that maybe offensively that we should look out for.
3: Yeah. add Jeremiah Hunter, there is kind of the big three um, Hunter and Sturdivant are both going to be on the outside. They're both tall, they're rangy, they're athletic, both are type of kind of punt return type of options while having possession receiver size and ability. Uh, so those two guys have been solid. Uh, I mean, Plummer, again, when he's uh, protected, he typically finds one of those two guys on the outside and the offense looks really good. Um, just, again, it's too far, too far and few between. <laughs> um, but Ott has been a, a definite boost into the running game. I mean, Damian Moore was on some of the watch lists going into the year. We haven't seen much of him at all with the way that odd has come in and really exploded early in the season. Been a little more... I don't want to call him average, but the running game has been average. Nothing spectacular about his stats per se the last few weeks, but you know, that's in there. He has that game breaking speed when he gets into the open field. Um, He can run between the tackles just fine. But if you can find a way to get him a screen or a toss or something where he's in open field and has a lane, he just takes off. (laughs) It's really impressive to see.
2: I I heard um, tall receivers, Carter, lanky, rangy (laughs) receivers. You will not see that Jackson from Oregon state. I think Oregon state's tallest receivers like five, nine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I,
1: th- I think Tresha on the Harrison checks in at six feet, maybe six, one, but outside of okay, that.
2: Okay. But that yeah. means he's really five, eight. Yeah. Five, nine.
1: <laughs> um,
3: even Cal slot receiver is not really a slot receiver. He's just the third best guy. So they put him there. Maven Anderson who is another six <laughs> foot type of guy. So, uh, Both Anderson and Sturdivant were four stars. Ott was a four star. Their tight ends a four star. Um, We're all very young, but they feel like they have something special brewing with that group that's uh, more athletic than typically Kyle has over the the last few years. We're not
2: going to get into star battles because you're going to (laughs) win.
0: It
1: is an impressive group of young talent, though. And I mean, you know, you look at some of the stats and and Ott and Sturdivant in, in particular lead the pack 12 and are close to the national lead in a lot of categories for for true freshmen or for Stern's a redshirt freshman correct yeah yeah so for for true freshmen ought for sure and and for freshmen as a whole i mean Stern's up there as well as the receiver so the 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 young core at the skill positions for sure i mean Justin we Will Justin Wilcox has has set the stage for the future on that side of the ball. And it's been impressive to see with Ott in particular what he's been able to do as a first-year guy in that offense. Now, the offensive line you touched on in uh I think as we were talking about Plummer, it's been a weakness, right? And so, you know, we talk about all of these great skill position players, Plummer being a pretty solid game manager, Jaden Ott leading the running game, uh, Hunter and, and Sturtivant in the in the passing game as receivers, but if the offensive line's not doing its job, none of that's going to be clicking. And unfortunately for the Golden Bears, they had a couple of injuries last week to a line that's already seen what like is it is it five six different starting lineups at this point?
3: Yeah, it's and it really started at the end of last year. Even their one of their best linemen transferred to Oklahoma. Then they get to spring, um, and one of their starting tackles, Will Craig, coming back just kind of abruptly leaves the team, and that was not a loss that they were accounting for. Uh, they had a medical red shirt in there within the two deep and our medical retirement excuse me and uh, they tried they scrambled after spring practice to get some transfers or uh, before it and uh, they got a couple of guys Spencer Lavelle from Arizona State even as a reserve at Arizona State was starting and he's been hurt uh, Matthew Sendrick probably their best uh, interior lineman injured out for the year Ben Coleman uh, who moved to left tackle got hurt at USC, waiting to see what his status is going to be. So um, they've had true freshmen in there. They've tried transfers. They've really mixed up the lineup and about every variation that is available to them. And I just don't think they have the guys this year, unfortunately.
2: It's so hard. I mean, I've, I've seen that too. I mean, injuries just can wreak havoc. Um, let's switch. Do you have anything else, Carter, with offense?
1: Uh, no, the only thing I was going to say there is I, I feel like, you know, after seeing what Oregon State's pass rush did last week against Washington, essentially nothing. Nothing. The fact that it's going up against an offensive line this week that has struggled and has the personnel issues. Um, I think we could see that whole, you know, Jack Plummer not having time to operate thing come to fruition. But um, that's that's something we can dive deeper into in the, uh, the second half of the show. So, Angie, go ahead and flip gears to defense here. I want
2: to talk about defense because cal's defense is averaging 26.8 points per game and 427.3 yards per game what happened i mean justin wilcox kind of came into cal as this elite defensive mind um what has happened maybe that with the defensive side that they're not quite elite right now
3: yeah i think you know the 2019 2020 teams uh 18 that kind of era that'll several players that were drafted NFL guys, and they just haven't been able to reload uh, to have that top end talent. Um, I think last year they went through some injuries and saw some younger players step in and felt pretty good this year that those same younger players were going to be uh, more experienced and step into those roles much better this year. They hit the transfer portal. They added quite a few guys of key players. Jackson Sermon has really been a, a huge addition for them at inside linebacker. But Um, one from UCLA, Odua is has outside linebackers been hurt basically all year. Then they had their star defensive lineman, Brett Johnson, who was uh, injured in a car accident last year, missed all last year, gets healthy, comes back, has a season ending injury right before the season starts. Um, it's really dismantled the D line and they haven't quite had the talented outside linebacker. And that's really where this defense is broken down. Um, They've given up a ton of passing yards, but they've just had to cover it for so long and they haven't had much pressure. I I think it starts up front, just not a very strong D-line or outside linebacker unit, which is usually, um, you know, when they were running the 3-4, a staple in how you run that defense. Now it's more of a 2-4-5 nickel kind of setup and you only have two linemen and they're not very effective. It's made life difficult for the back to to deal with that.
2: Who, because you had Keith Hayward, Um, As your linebacker coach, who is linebacker coach now that Keith went to UNLV DC?
3: Yeah. Peter Sermon is is handling the inside linebackers. Um, Coach Soto has come in as the outside linebacker coach. And so they, I mean, the staff still on paper is pretty strong. Um, They've recruited pretty well. They've got three different coaches technically in the the defensive backfield. Um, So they've got, I mean, there's not a reason why they shouldn't be well coached, but again, injuries and injuries and some things. Some
2: some guys just don't maybe take that next step. Like you're expecting them to, or it takes longer.
1: Yeah. You mentioned the recruiting piece too. And I I was curious when you go through these personnel issues and deficiencies that they have, like how much of that does come back to the recruiting? Because on the offensive side, we just talked about all sorts of young talents and four-star guys who came in, but Um, you know, I think we look back at when Wilcox took over and he inherited a lot of very good players on the defensive side. Um, if I'm not mistaken, like Evan Weaver, wasn't a Wilcox recruit. Am I, am I correct there? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it it feels like he inherited some of the guys who helped him build those strong defenses. So has recruiting on the defensive side been a question mark? Because it doesn't seem like it should be considering that staff and the success they built.
3: Right. Um, I think first, before getting too far from the coaches, they did have Tim Deruder leading that defense those first few years and he's since left and um, that may have something to do with it. I still think they're pretty well equipped on the staff, but DeRuiter is a pretty good defensive coordinator. Um, But talent wise, the D line's a little head scratching just because um, they have, that's been a a position they've recruited very well at Uh, outside linebacker as well. Some of those hybrid types of players, they've got, I mean, that's usually been kind of the highlight of the defensive classes the last couple of years. And those guys just either have not reached it yet or have not quite panned out. And again, with the injuries, they're a lot more shorthanded than we expected. And uh, it's tough to say in the secondary. On paper, they look pretty good, but I I think it's been a a result of what's going on in front of them. They haven't had much help to defend the pass this year.
2: So I'm going to jump off of our, our kind of our outline here. Talk a little bit about the transfer portal, potentially, and how maybe Cal, does that hurt Cal? I know it hurts Stanford and some other schools like that with academics, but also NIL. I mean, Cal isn't known to have a huge, you know, just bankroll of, of athletic boosters. Um, do you think that's hurting Cal? Um, you
3: know, I, they have some of the team stuff that built in that are, most schools yeah. do at this point, okay. but... Um, and uh, for the portal as well, it's not nearly as significant of an issue as it Standard. is at Stanford. Okay. Um, again, I, I thought this year you know they got Isabore from UCLA. Uh, they got Sermon uh, from Washington and they also added uh, Xavier Carleton from Utah. I mean those were three guys that looked like like the yeah. four of the front seven going into this year and um, it felt like they had shored up a big issue on this defense. So on paper the portal was very kind to of them this okay. year. They're not
2: the same issues then that Stanford faces,
3: right? Yeah, Uh, they're not. Cal, I don't think you're ever going to see them take huge transfer classes, but they were very selective and I felt efficient with the portal this year. Just not quite good enough. Apparently
1: (laughs) one matchup in this contest that I want your thoughts on Jackson is uh Cal's pass defense versus Oregon State's passing offense. And and last week when Angie and I sat here and we previewed Oregon State and Washington, we said, man, there's so many strength on strength matchups in this game. Well, this feels like a weakness on weakness when you're talking about Cal's pass defense and Oregon State's pass offense, groups that for Cal, it's allowing three hundred, almost exactly three hundred passing yards per game. And Oregon State has really gotten nothing. Nothing <laughs> in over the last couple of weeks. I mean, eighty-seven passing yards at Washington is is pretty terrible. When you're looking at a matchup like that, where it's one team's weakness on another's, how do you analyze who that favors? I mean, does it even does it favor one team over another? Like, I, I tend to think it it favors the the team that's struggling on defense. But I, I'm curious what your thoughts are there.
3: I'd add, you know, just looking at the stats over the year, and now Cal's in a spot where they're a little more short-handed in that group. In the secondary, Lou Hearns has been out the last several weeks, and uh, Colin Gamble as well missed last week. Uh, they've had some younger, less reliable cornerbacks out there. So um, what looks like a weakness over the course of uh, nine games might be more so this time around. Um, I think, In Cal's case, as probably a lot of the other teams in the bottom half of the Pac-12 have gone through, I know Stanford has, they play these mega passing offenses in the conference, the Washingtons, the Oregons, the USC's, and they just have all day to throw, and the quarterbacks improvise, and it gets ugly. (laughs) Even against Washington, Cal held them to 28, but the stats were just ridiculous, the yards and the first downs, and so – I think Cal is going to hope that this matchup is just going to produce something that looks quite a bit different from what they're used to um, probably in the realm of what Stanford did, which was not great against the Beavers, but was significantly better than what they faced against a lot of other conference schools.
2: Yeah. Oregon State's passing offense is horrendous this year. Um, If Cal can slow down OSU's offense, what will it have done? Well, would it be up front front seven or would it be the back end?
3: I think it's up front. They're going to have to find a way to get some pressure. It's been a weakness all season, and if they figure that out, if they can do that against uh, some different matchups than they've had the last couple of weeks, then I think it changes things quite a bit for the, the back end. But also, they're uh, again, new injuries, it's hard to project them being as successful as maybe they would have been a couple of weeks ago with that kind of help.
2: Injuries, just I mean, Oregon State has been knock on wood lucky this year, really. I mean, they lost Chance Nolan, who continues to be out, but uh, Luke Musgrave yeah. though too. I he mean, but
1: Oregon State has, I think, to its credit, overcome some of those injuries. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Trey They're Lowe's brewer, running back spot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Oregon State fans for sure know how how detrimental the injury bug can be to a team. Um, and I
2: feel your pain because I've been there covering the team, when, especially D line struggles. You can have the best DBs in the in the world, but they mm. can't. They can't. You know.
1: I mean, that's what it was like at Oregon State last year.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: But all right, a couple of big, uh, bigger picture topics before we get you out of here, Jackson. So. We've talked about Justin Wilcox and kind of the trajectory he's taken, you know, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster, I think it's it's fair to say at this point in his tenure at Cal. Um, but in January, he, extend, or he was extended through 2027. So, you know, coming off of a a, a bit of a downslide, you know, Cal's kind of middle of the road right now after looking like it was on the up and up there for a couple of years in the first part of his tenure. Now at three and six, you know, struggling through the finish line of this season, does it feel like maybe Cal might have some buyers remorse here? I mean, is it is it fair to 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 question the investment that they have made in Wilcox right now?
3: Well, the weird part about the extension was that like all the super seniors and kind of borderline NFL type of guys, all bailed. <laughs> you know, it would feel like if you extended your coach, maybe some of those guys would, would come back. But it feels like this team this year I mean, even the older players are guys, the, the leaders are players like Jack Plummer and Jackson Sermon, who are transfers that came in. Um, so they knew going into this year, even being Wilcox sixth year, that. It was going to be a young team. They were going to have growing pains. Uh, hopefully it would be a launching point to 2023. And you look at the schedule, it's really hard to blame Coach Wilcox for any of those losses. Uh, they've been underdogs in every game except for Colorado, which is the one that really is uh, going to – it's a big pain for Cal fans to have had to have gone to Colorado and experienced that loss. That's the one week that really does hurt Coach Wilcox. Um, you know, if they can – get through uh, I mean four and eight doesn't sound pretty at all but if they can beat Stanford and kind of get on a good note maybe get some momentum for next year we'll see if this group can take a significant step forward and they're going to have to for this thing to ride out I think all the way to, to 2027 which is what it says on paper right now
1: yeah I mean it's not like coaches can just remain on this upward trajectory forever Never. like there have to be down years every now and then and- I
2: mean heck Nick Saban's having a down year
1: yeah yeah <laughs> And I mean we could go in depth on is Nick Saban gonna retire? Is this the end of the dynasty? But um at, at Cal, you know, you you mentioned some of those super seniors leaving, some of the guys who have been rocks of that team for so long departing. Yeah, you know, this this kind of had rebuilding year written all over it, it sounds like. So, you know, one year, I, I don't know if it's fair to say that the extension was was a poor decision. Um given what Wilcox has done throughout his tenure. You know, it's it's not all doom and gloom. Um, but to that point, what's it going to take for him to get it back to the levels that he had it in the beginning, where it looked like for a while Cal was right there, ready to take that next step into the top tier of this conference? Because, I mean, Angie and I sat here for like two or three straight years saying, man, this could be the year that Cal breaks in. What's it going to take for him to actually get to that point now?
3: Yeah, it does feel like the defense is quite a ways away from what it was back then. And it's hard to picture how they get back to that so quickly. Um, I feel like offensively, they're leaps and bounds better in some areas than they were for many of those seasons. But uh, they are going to have to do a lot of work in the portal with the O-line, I think. And it's going to be some tough conversations. I mean, this is year three of Bill Musgrave. Is it working? Is it time to try something else? Yeah. Uh, You know, they've got to figure that out, too. Uh, Right now, for me, it just feels like an O-line that has crumbled. And maybe if they can figure that out, this is a team that can be more competitive next year They get some guys healthy on defense and run it back because there's only a a very few number of players that are not eligible to return. So um, bring back a veteran team, which it'll be more so next year, and work the portal and cross your fingers for health. Maybe maybe Cal's got a shot next year.
2: So uh, like that's just – is it O-line? I mean, like, I partner and I have talked, and, you know, well, I could say Oregon State needs a, you know, maybe a bigger body receiver and a, a great edge rusher. I think the one piece that Oregon State is missing right now is, is is a good quarterback. If you had one position, would it be O-line?
3: Yeah, absolutely, and I'd take two or three, maybe four guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they really need the help there for sure.
1: Yeah, following the, I feel like, in some ways the Oregon state model of recruiting and, or sorry, of of rebuilding there. Like you just Mm -hmm. said, hope for help, hit a couple of guys in the transfer portal and and build up some of that experience and develop some guys. That's Mm -hmm. exactly what Oregon state has done.
2: Cause Cal Washington state, Oregon state, they're not a team, Arizona. They don't have like massive three, four deep, you know, you get an injury or two and yeah, you're working with the development guys that might've been a low three star and not many offers on the table.
3: Yeah, I mean, I've seen that both at Cal and Stanford this year on paper at full strength teams that could do some things, but just the margin from a game to DNF has just been a mean, just been a few injuries away, it feels like from getting there.
1: I mean, I saw Stanford released what their depth chart this week. They have like a one deep at running back now with a, a fourth stringer.
3: <laughs> yeah, and he was a safety up a few weeks ago. <laughs> See,
2: and Oregon State would never have changed their depth chart. It still yeah. would have just listed all, all five them.
1: Yeah so, yeah, so credit to David Shaw there for actually updating that thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, we're coming up on the half-hour mark here, so Jackson, we'll let you bounce. But before we go, if you want to give us a score prediction or, or maybe just your thoughts on how this game might play out, uh, we'll let you leave us with that.
3: Yeah, I think um, it'll be on the lower scoring end. I, I think it'll be competitive. I think it'll be closer than the fourteen point margin, but it won't be. It won't be close. It'll be close because it's low scoring. I think the Beavers will control the game. I'm thinking twenty-seven, seventeen around there. It, it, Cal will feel like they might be two or three plays away, but they won't ever come. So that that's what I'm going with.
1: Okay. That may or may not be the exact score that I'm working with in <laughs> our staff picks, which will go live at Beaver Blitz tomorrow. <laughs> Anything else for Jackson, Angie? Or should we? No, uh, I just
2: appreciate it. It's and, always so fun out to Vegas. Yeah, you better get ready for Vegas. And it's so good to see you. Thank you for joining us.
3: Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jackson.
1: That's Jackson Moore of BearTerritory.net on the 247 Sports Network. Angie, r- just remind everybody why a subscription to beaverblitz.com and 24 seven sports is so valuable because information like that yeah. runs rampant across this network.
2: Yeah, this network, there was a reason that I made a move um, several years ago when I did, and it was to be part of the 24 seven sports network with all the great publishers. Not only the top Pac-12 sites are are here, are housed at 24 seven, but the best experts recruiting wise, Greg Biggins, uh, Brandon Huffman, Blair and Gulo. So Your subscription to Beaver Blitz, not only do you get to read and comment and and join the discussions in the lodge at Beaver Blitz and interact with all these experts, you can go read all the other sites too and and get all the insights. So um, I love it when we can bring on these 24-7 experts and and we've had Kim Grinnolds and and Jackson Moore and it's, it's just a lot of fun.
1: Brian Miller in the YouTube chat says, you guys keep getting such great guests. Uh, it goes back to the point. I mean, all yes. of these publishers across this network, and and particularly on the West Coast, you know, it's it's almost like a family. You know, we we can reach out to them and say, "Hey, we need your thoughts on this." Hey, you want to jump on our podcast? And and everyone's so willing to do it, and and the knowledge is is off the charts.
2: Been around a long time. I mean, Kim Grinnell. I didn't get a chance, but I mean, I think he mentioned he they he was one of the guys that started the site, yeah. dogman back in like ninety seven, ninety eight. So. I mean, these guys were like at the forefront of this whole recruiting website, fan site movement. Um, you know, Jim Heckman, who was kind of the founder of the original in- incarnation of Rivals, actually was part of Dogman. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think about how much knowledge. Ryan Abraham, 20 plus years running that site. Um, a lot of a lot of stuff.
1: We'd love to have you join us at beaverblitz.com to help us grow this movement, to help us uh, along the way as we continue to, to combine with some of these experts across the network to provide you with the coverage of Oregon State Athletics that you are searching for. So head to beaverblitz.com and join us today.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: All right, let's move to what unfolded in Corvallis throughout the week. And as always, it starts with the Jonathan Smith press conference on Monday and he uh, he was candid about some of the stuff that unfolded in that game at Washington. and I liked I, I like the Jonathan Smith we've gotten this year in that realm where he has he has admitted faults where they've occurred. He has credited opponents where it's due. and he has kind of uh, you know, pulled the curtain back on some of the game game decisions and um, this week, referee calls uh, that have helped determine some of these games. Before we dive into that, let's touch on the injury update because that is always one yeah. of the key points from Smith's pressers. And it starts with Chance Nolan in that there is really no update on Oregon State's quarterback situation this week. Chance Nolan remains, I assume, you know, my my interpretation is that in that there's no update means that he's still practicing, but in a limited fashion.
2: That's that's all we can get. So, I mean, I know they like to keep people guessing. So um, I was just on a radio show and they asked me about about that. And I, I'm still, I'm going with the assumption we're going to see Ben yeah. on Saturday. So uh
1: at kicker Everett Hayes, good to go. And in fact, Smith said that he actually, he would have kicked field goals at U dub if they had called for them. Of course, Oregon state with those, those two uh, fourth down decisions in the red zone to go for it. But uh, Everett Hayes, after missing really the entire conference schedule to this point uh, is, is healthy from that groin injury. In the running back room, Trey Lowe actually returned to practice last week and could be getting close to a return. Which we've kind of chalked him up as as being in that Luke Musgrave category where we just kind of assumed we wouldn't see him this year. Um, but it sounds like Trey Lowe could be coming back and and adding another body to that deep rotation of running backs.
2: Is it okay, Carter? I just. I know there's a lot of people, and I'm. this is no disrespect to Trello, because I think he's great as a receiving threat out of the backfield. But has he, I mean, has has he done anything to warrant jumping like a Jam Griffin?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this does feel like a situation where, <laughs> I mean, obviously you want to see Trello on the field and you want to yeah. see him healthy. But if you hold him out all season, he probably gets a medical hardship and gets an extra year of eligibility, which is only going to be good for everyone involved there. Um, But yeah, to your point, he does come back into a crowded room where you have to question. I mean, he's certainly not jumping Damian Martinez. Nobody is. The guys run for a hundred yards in three straight games. Uh, Could he jump in front of Fenwick and Griffin? Like potentially, I mean, Fenwick just scored two touchdowns last week. We can talk about efficiency versus inefficiency, but I mean, Fenwick scoring touchdowns still. But, but here's
2: a guy who hasn't run the ball in like a year. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, for me, it kind of feels like – I know, like I said, I know a ton of Beaver fans are anxiously awaiting and when is Trey Lowe going to be available. But to me, it just seems like too little too late right now.
1: I do like the idea of bringing him back as, as a, a receiving tight end. Cause, yeah. Or er, tight end, as a receiving running back. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, we're not going to see Trey Lowe play tight end. <laughs> <I didn't>.
2: uh, <laughs> We're gonna chalk that up to your stomach bug.
1: Yeah, no, I, I do <laughs> like the idea of bringing him back to throw to him out of the backfield because you really, really just
2: of, want Luke Musgrave back. Yeah, sure.
1: Because <laughs> um, none of the running backs have really done that in his absence. I mean, we saw Martinez get a screen last week and he took that thing for a big gain, but outside of that, it, it feels like there hasn't really been any game-changing ability yeah. as receivers from the running backs. And we know that Trello provides that. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about what Jonathan Smith said about UW. We won't spend a ton of time on this because we are talking Cal right now. Um, first off, he gave a, a bunch of credit to the Huskies, and I think that's warranted. You know, as, This is for another as much one Oregon passing
2: State, attack in the country.
1: Right. I mean, for as much as Oregon State struggled in that game, we have to remember that Washington is a two-loss team in the middle of November that has the best passing offense in the country, still has a solid defense. It's not great, but it's solid. And I mean... Credit where it's due. Washington played a really good game. That's a good team that played a good game. Yeah, yeah.
2: And coaches, I, I do, I still go back to second half adjustments. And Washington coaches made better adjustments than Oregon State did. Yeah.
1: Um, we fourth talked, down aggression. We talked you know, to Smith we, about that. We, we talked about fourth down aggression on the the recap pod on Sunday or Monday. I guess we did it this week. Um, Smith doubled down on Monday in his presser. He said, you know, "These are his words." He said, "It's our brand." Angie, how do you feel about that being Oregon State's brand? I, I felt like, you know, in the early the early port or the the early portion of of Smith's tenure, that aggressiveness on fourth down being your brand works because you're playing you at to a lose. talent you, or yeah. you're playing at a talent disadvantage. You're not expected to win these games. Yeah. But are we at a point now where this being Oregon State's brand is detrimental because you just want to take points where you can? I yeah. mean, it's one thing if
2: especially you're, in the road. It's,
1: yeah, it's, it's one thing if you're on fourth and two on the 40-yard line, but if you're in the red zone, I don't know. How, how do you feel about this being Oregon State's brand five years into the Johnson Smith era?
2: I think I think the first time it was fine. I think you go, you try it, it didn't work. Second time, I really would have kicked the, kicked the field goal um, because you're right. This isn't just, you know, Oregon State, we're going to do whatever we can to try to scrap out a win. This is a team that's right there. Um, and I would say that they lost a lot of momentum nationally by not winning that game. And mm-hmm. so you take the points where you can get the points, um, unless you have zero confidence in your kicker. And he said, he did, he said, Everett Hayes was a hundred percent, um, or, you know, the weather. I mean, but he didn't even say that the weather was that he wasn't concerned about kicking in the weather. So, um, I mean, I wish he would have, if that was going to be the case, just say, Hey, the weather was crappy down at that end of the field. The wind was swirling. I just felt it was better. Um, yeah, at this point, your brand is going to be better served by winning games and not having fourth down, big plays.
1: He did somewhat hint to the the wind being a factor on that second decision, saying, you know, if you if you go for it and you miss it, it's okay. like missing a field goal, field and and you know the wind's blowing down there. So, felt like maybe he wasn't entirely comfortable kicking about a thirty yeah. yarder on that end of the field where the wind is whipping. Um, on on the first one he actually said that they ran a play that they had already run with Coletto. Yeah. And he thought that might have, have, uh, have been the factor in, in that thing being stopped, which I mean, fair enough. Like it, we talk about the Coletto package being impossible to stop. Part of it is the surprise element. Yeah. Like it doesn't seem like there's a surprise element at this point, but they have so many plays at their disposal in that package that a lot of times they do still catch teams off guard with well, how they use them.
2: And and like we talked about Monday on our recap, there is something to that too. I mean, you're going odds, odds on play and Coletto, Coletto packages at like, you know, one or two yards. He's what 90, like 95%, 96%.
1: Yeah. I mean, something like pretty
2: that. damn good. So I don't know. I, I just think at this point, that game that early, and maybe late in the game, you tried to go for it, but that early, they needed the points to go up yep. one, go up two to two scores is huge.
1: Last point on the UW game. Smith doubled down and and confirmed that the phantom timeout that really nullified what could have been like a 60 yard touchdown run for Damian Martinez, uh, if, if not a huge gain. He didn't call timeout on that play. Nobody called timeout. That was The, the officials assumed that that's what he wanted because he was sprinting down towards the line of scrimmage. Uh, but Smith said he was running towards a line of scrimmage with his eyes on the clock to see if they were going to get the thing snapped. And if it looked like they weren't, he was going to call timeout. Mm-hmm. But he himself did not. The officials blew it dead. And uh, we can we can discuss that as being just one of many gaffes by yeah that Michael Mothershed-led whole... crew.
2: <laughs> we need a whole podcast just talking about how horrible the Pac-12 officials are.
1: And we could spend about a half hour of that on M- the Mothershed. Oregon State-Washington game yes, alone. Yes, yes,
2: alone. But we're not. Let's move into no. Cal because yeah. bounce back game this week.
1: And there's one interview from the week that I, I feel like okay. we we should dive into and, and and analyze here because Jack Coletto always provides great sound bites, mm-hmm. But the insight that he provided on the team's motivation going into this game, I, I thought was great because it answered a question that you and I asked on Sunday or, or Monday. We did record on Monday, right?
2: We did record Monday. Yeah.
1: Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, a question we asked is, what is Oregon State playing for right now? It's coming off a loss, which felt like it killed all sorts of momentum, took Oregon State out of the national stage, um, you know, maybe relegated them to the Sun Bowl at best for a postseason appearance. And we said, "Like, where's the motivation going to come from the rest of the way? Well, Jack Coletto, as he always does, just with masterful use of words here, he said that it's easy to become result oriented, but we have to be, quote, fanatical about the process, regardless of the outcome. And he turned this into a life lesson. And said, <laughs> I'm like, wait, 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 wait what? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, if, if let's say we had won that game against Washington and we were seven and two, would we practice any differently than if we had lost it? And if that's the case, then ultimately we're letting circumstances dictate how we're going to perform and how we're going to and how we're going to play. I love that because it totally is a commitment to the process, not focusing on the results. And that's how you bounce back from a loss like that. That's how you bounce back from a big win too. You know, you don't get too high. You don't get too low. You focus on your preparation all week. And man, I mean, how many times have we heard this come from different coaches and players' mouths at Oregon State? But I don't feel like we've ever heard it as uh, eloquent as, as eloquent as what Colette okay. said.
2: So is this going to make you think bad of me that I actually am fanatically results based?
1: <laughs> no, I think that's fair as, <laughs> as, a, as a member of the media or as a fan, like results are really all that matter, but for the because team,
2: results, because my bottom line is affected directly by their results.
1: Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Brian Miller says in the YouTube chat, I think he could be such a great coach. I completely agree. He and Brandon Kipper could team up oh, somewhere and, and win a championship at some level. You
2: need to sign those two up for a Beaver Blitz NIL deal
1: somehow. <laughs> yeah. No, I just, I, I thought that that kind of insight and, and, you know, that Intel on the team's motivation right now, maybe calmed some of my worries about if this team was going to come out and, and lay an egg against Cal. Cause it did. I, I mean, from a fan or a media perspective, it felt like that was crushing and like, yeah. all right, we could fold up the season from here. Cause there's nothing left to play for. Doesn't really sound like that's the way that the team has handled it. And that's exactly what you want to hear. Should we be... go to keys I'm... to the game I'm gonna be or do you fanatical. have anything to add?
2: No, I'm just, I, I just kind of feel kind of uh, insulted by Coletto because I think he's, <laughs> he's downplaying my fanatical results driven. Yeah. Um... <laughs>
1: okay so so here's one for you as a results driven member of the media with three games left in this regular season if oregon state does win out if oregon state beats cal this week Uh comes back goes on the road beats arizona state and then beats oregon does that finish to the season make up for that excuse me that disappointing loss to washington does it make up for the momentum it lost even though it's probably not going to be at the heights that it would have been had it beat Washington.
2: Well, yeah, I I do because if you can beat Oregon, hey, first of all, anytime you beat Oregon, your season Fair. is like a thousand percent ex- a success. Okay. I'm just I'm gonna keep it real. And if Duck fans are watching, you shouldn't be watching this because some <laughs> of your podcast. Um because there were two really disappointing losses this season. Utah, Utah just we got beat. Oregon they got beat, but that USC lost stings and the Washington yeah. lost stings. But so there were two chances that Oregon state really could have like grabbed momentum. And so I guess in my mind, I think about the, the, what if like, Oh my gosh, if Oregon state somehow had beat USC and then the momentum that that would, even if they lost to Utah, the momentum wouldn't have dipped that much and then you, you rise and then you, you end up beating Washington. I mean, you're talking about a top 10 top 15 team at this point. um, And what that does as a whole for everything, whether that does, for recruiting, what it does for fan engagement, what it does for selling off the rest of those season tickets on that new side of the stadium. That's going to open next, what it does for Oregon state. Who's trying to build as many viewers as they can get with this whole conference realignment. I mean, there's so many pieces that I don't, don't think a lot of people really dig dig into. So um, if Oregon state can somehow win out the next three games, I'm not going to say it's going to cut the sting, but um, it'll be a very good year. I mean, I, I consider it, Eight or nine win season is a great year. A 10-11 win season is one of those those special years.
1: At Oregon State, eight, nine wins, like that should not go unappreciated. Yes, That absolutely. has not happened very often in the darn near 150-year yeah. history of this football program. I mean, eight, nine wins is special. 10-11 wins is like landmark, yeah. historic type stuff.
2: I mean, because think about I, I go back then, go back to Washington in two thousand. So you were not you you probably have just heard about it, but Oregon State mm-hmm. lost that one game in two thousand by one missed field goal. That's it. Yeah. They were that far away from perfection. Yeah it stings. It still stings 22 years later.
1: Are, are we getting too depressing here? No, it's, it's still, let's, let's no, talk let's about do- the fact that Oregon state has an opportunity against yes. California to bounce back, to build some momentum down the stretch. And I think it's a big game in that if you lose this one, I mean, all momentum is gone. Like yes. at this at that point you're saying, yeah, let's just get this thing done. or crawl into to the end. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. I I think Oregon State will take care of business. This is not a good Golden Bears team. And so to predict how to do it, let's go to keys to the game. And Angie, we'll start with your offensive key. I'm taking a look at it now. And you are right. You did not go with the same thing as me, which will make some of the listeners
2: happy. And I didn't go with the same thing that I typically do, which is, I think I keep saying run the ball. I think I've said that like three weeks in a row. I would like to see this week a balanced run and pass attack because the past couple of weeks, Oregon State has been too one dimensional. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a week that Ben, you know, has to have some, some clean passing attack in there, make it a little more balanced, take care of the football too, because that's always one.
1: Yeah. It was almost exactly 60, 40 last week, which Jonathan Smith said, isn't the exact ratio yeah. they're looking for. They wanted to be run heavy in that game yeah. and they were going to need to be with the wind, but. Um. yeah, no, I, I think that's, I think that's fair. And especially against a Cal team that is stronger against the run than now, the past.
2: Talking with Jackson Moore though, and hearing how much they struggle up front. I mean, I think Oregon State's offensive line will have a really big day, mm-hmm. um, potentially opening holes. So maybe the run game still continues to, to be a strength, but I think, I think Ben needs to, to gain some confidence in the passing game.
1: So let's say that the run is there and the Bears are getting what they want on the ground. Are you okay with them going 60-40, 70-30 in the run game if it's there? Or do you still want them to try to establish something in the passing game even if they can get pretty much... I, I mean, let's say they could get six to seven yards per carry against Cal.
2: I, then you run do the you ball. Want,
1: do you want to no, see them pass the ball we don't need balance. We don't need balance. Okay.
2: I don't think you need balance at that point um, because... You start throwing it and bad things can happen sometimes when yeah. you throw it. No, I, I
1: mean, don't if think... they're able
2: to get seven, eight yards of carry, yeah, run yeah. the damn ball.
1: I don't think it's gonna happen, to no, be fair. No. Cal's Cal's run defense for as, as much as their front seven yeah. is struggle, their run defense is much better than the pass.
2: Yeah. Um, but I do think this is a week that Ben can get some some momentum and some confidence in the passing game.
1: Which leads into my key to the game pretty well, because my key is Oregon State has to take advantage of the Cal secondary. It's it's just not good. It's it's not great. And it, again, it's like what we talked about with Washington last week. It feels so weird to say it because we have become so accustomed to Washington and Cal having such great defenses and their secondaries being among the best in the conference, if not the country. And that's not the case this year in, in Berkeley. If there is a week for Ben Goldbranson to figure some things out, this is probably it. This is the cushiest matchup he has probably gotten. Okay, no, that's uh, Colorado. Colorado is yeah. for sure. But outside of a, a throwaway game against Colorado, yeah. you you can't glean anything from that. This is the the best opportunity that Ben has had to to gain some momentum here and and to to pick up some confidence and, and make some plays. I think he's got to do it if, if yeah. Oregon State is going to maintain balance because Cal will try to stop the run and, and sell out against the run if the Beavers are not moving the ball through the air. Um, teams have found success moving the ball against Cal through the air. And that's really the, the only way they're doing it. I mean, they're averaging about 300 through the air and just about 120 on the ground. So if the Beavers can't air it out, I mean, it, it could be tough sledding.
2: Yeah. I, I all right I let's flip I, to the I, defensive side. Yeah. Okay. Again, I got something different. I'm going stop. Ought. Can you hear me?
1: Uh oh. We're yeah, we're lagging here. My my computer battery is running low. Uh-oh. Um all right, let's yeah, we'll we'll try to power through this if we can and we'll get out of there. Is am I am I really laggy on your end?
2: A little bit but I can hear you. Did you guys hear my my key to the game? Stop Ott.
1: Yep. Um, You said that the secondary will be able to handle the passing attack, and I I think that they have established that at this point. Are you confident that Oregon State can stop Jaden Ott?
2: I do. I think they can. I think the run defense has been much improved, and uh, I think that'll be a, a big... Point of emphasis this, this week is to, you know, I think it's a big game for, um, not Andre, um Kyrie Fisher, Morris, and Omar Spates.
1: My key is is similar, but uh, again, a little different. Oregon State, I think, has to find balance between pressuring Jake Plummer. There it is. I, I said Jake Plummer.
2: Yeah, I used it to play Jake earlier. Plummer.
1: Uh, yeah, they Jack have Plummer. to find a balance between pressuring Jack Plummer and containing Jaden not. And the reason I say that is because if, if Plummer has the kind of time that Michael Penix jr. Did last week, it's not going to end well for the Beavers. I don't care how good that secondary is. He's going to pick them apart. He did it last year. We saw the exact, I mean, it was the exact same thing last mm-hmm. year. Oregon stake out yeah. no pressure against Plummer. And he completed like 70% of his passes for about 300 and what? 50 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, if the pass rush is as ineffective as it was last week, that's going to happen. Um, but you can't sell out to pressure him because no, no. Th- that's the thing. If you send like eight guys to the ball, Jaden is going to make you pay. And I, yeah. I also think that Plummer is the kind of guy who can get it out quickly too. Yeah. I mean, also a, a great receiver as a running back. So you get him in space in, in some screen opportunities. I mean, this is the kind of situation where, if you are relying on Jaden Grant or Ryan Cooper Jr. to get home in these safety blitzes, I have a feeling Jaden Ott's going to make you pay in the running game mm-hmm. or in, in the short passing game. So, so you've got to find the balance between sending the pressure, bringing the house, but also making sure that you're staying disciplined and containing Jaden Ott in the running game.
2: Maybe a spy on Jaden Ott.
1: A spy on the running back. I, I, I like it. I like it. I don't know. We, we, we we've talked about the, the whole spy thing so much this year. And I'm curious how much no. Oregon state has actually done it. Um, I don't know. might, like I said, my, for whatever reason, my, my laptop battery is, um, is cutting out quicker than normal. So let's do a, a quick run around the PAC 12 and then I guess we'll get out of here so I can plug this Perfect. thing in. But uh, PAC 12 action does start on Friday night. 6:30 PM on FS1 with Colorado as a 34 and a half point underdog at USC, and that's a trend this week. There are a lot of big lines and big spreads in this conference this week. Um, USC is going to roll. 34 and a half, one. too big of a number for you to, yeah.
2: No, USC is going to roll. It might be like 48 to seven. Maybe
1: I I think it could be. I mean, I I think (laughs) USC could put up sixty on them. Yeah, yeah.
2: And that Uh, Arizona State is
1: an eight-point underdog at Washington (laughs) State on the Palouse. That's a twelve-thirty kickoff on Pac-12 Network. Washington is a thirteen-point underdog at Oregon. A four p.m. kickoff on Fox. That's probably the game of the week in the Pac-12, even though the spreads uh, set at thirteen right now, right?
2: Yeah, I think that definitely is the game of the week. All eyes will be in Eugene.
1: Rivalry spot. You've got two teams who have combined for three losses here on on November tenth. It's interesting in that you've got a matchup between two of the top teams in the conference, and it's set at about two touchdowns. But I, I feel like that's fair. I mean, Oregon is playing yeah. some really good football this season. Um, it, it seems to get better and better every single week. Thir- I mean, Washington's a good team, but yeah, I I just I, I don't see the hus- he's having much of a shot and I one. see that
2: one being a high scoring um, game though
1: it could very well be then we've got our game California a 14 point underdog at Oregon State Stanford goes on the road to Utah as a 24 point dog Uh the Utes as a 24 as a 24 point favorite I mean you, you like to see that after your Utah fan considering some of the struggles Uh, The Utes have had in in putting teams away and and a couple of the losses that the Utes have had this year. I know that the expectations were really high for Utah, but I mean, it's still a good team and and a 24-point favorite against one of the conference's bottom dwellers. Um, Yeah, the Utes should take care of business there in Salt Lake City. And then the night finishes with a 7.30 kickoff on Fox between Arizona and UCLA. The Bruins are a 20-point favorite at the Rose Bowl. You're going to be tuning in for Pac 12 after dark this week, Angie. These are not good games, but crazy Well, I mean, Oregon happen, State's games
2: know. is six, so we really won't be home. And I might no, be I in Corvallis. Yeah. So, no, probably not. The,
1: the Press Box TV will probably be focused TV. on Oregon State Cal this yes, week. <laughs> yes. I'll be check- I mean,
2: there I'll checking. There have been weeks where it app. has
1: shown other games.
2: Yes. I, I will have my CBS Sports app. I'll be sitting next to Carter. We'll be comparing scores.
1: I'm sure we will throughout the weekend at Beaver Blitz. uh, Like I said, all three of us are going to be in Corvallis at research stadium to cover this game. We'll have coverage throughout the game. We'll recap it. Our top performers, either he said, she said, or that's what she said afterwards. We'll get Angie's thoughts, um, videos from the press conference, you name it, you know, the drill, if you've been at Beaver Blitz throughout the football season, and we are going to be back for the podcast on Sunday to recap game number ten. We're in the double digits now. It's we're on the home stretch, Angie.
2: It's crazy. It's going fast. Um,
1: hopefully, yeah. Hopefully if, if you're listening, I have no idea what this product sounds like right now with all this with all the glitching and and all the lagging and everything, but thanks for sticking it out. With us, and uh, we're going to do better on Sunday when we're back. But until then, you can follow her on Twitter at Angie Machado one. Go ahead and throw Jackson Moore a follow at Jackson Moore twenty four at, at Jackson Moore twenty four seven. He covers all sorts of West Coast teams, uh, and will be covering this game in some capacity. I am sure you can follow me at Carter Baines as well. And we'll talk to you on Sunday for another episode of the Damn Podcast. <laughs>